I don't know how I started in higher education, but I do know it was a learning curve, making U-turns, wrong turns, going around in circles and hitting stop signs, until I started asking questions, asking faculty, scholars, even myself looking for answers. So now they call me the... The Navigationalist. Awesome. Great. Let's get to it. Welcome to The Navigationist, where we will have crucial conversations about navigational strategies for underrepresented faculty. I am your host, Jimmy Chesson, and today we will talk a little about two of your superpowers, resistance capital, tools that you use to address inequity, and the second is your social circle. So why not expand and lean on us? And lastly, we want to remind you, you really, really, really need to take care of yourself. You know me, I'm all about that self-care. Today, I have two friends of mine, two colleagues, Dr. Mariela Fernandez and Dr. Barat Mira. This is going to be awesome. And before I forget, let me remind our podcast audience, if you would like to submit a question for our podcast uh, navigation list, please visit our website at greenbookhyatt.com. All right, let's get to it. And we have Dr. Bailey at the cafe. Hello, I am Javier. I am a graduate student at the State University. I dream of being a professor of economics, but here at this predominantly white university, opportunities are very slim. It seems opportunities go to graduate students who are working on other topics other than equity and inclusion issues. Is this true for higher ed? Thank you for this question, Javier. You know, this this makes me think we have over 20 years of data that show underrepresented faculty, including graduate students, especially faculty of color, female faculty, are undervalued. Studies show research interest on equity and inclusion is deemed, furthermore, less significant than those of the mainstream faculty. Is this true? Dr. Mariela Fernandez, please. I feel bad for him because I'm not surprised. I want to say that this is not, this does not happen everywhere, but it definitely happens. I'm definitely, again, not surprised that it's happening to him. Although I do want to say that this is, you know, this may vary by discipline. So I'm in the social sciences. So in my field, you know, it's perfectly okay to work on issues of equity and inclusion. And, you know, even the college or university that you're working at, I was talking to a friend earlier and kind of mentioned that now, if I were to move from university, if a university doesn't have a diversity and inclusion plan, to me, that's going to be a red flag. Like if it's not even on the radar. Yes, Dr. Fernandez, you are right. This is most definitely a red flag. And while we're on the subject, let me give you a few more. Therefore, number one, when there is no clear way to file a complaint or when there is a lack of campus climate assessment or when there's a lack of mentoring program for people of color or women or faculty or underrepresented faculty or when there is a visible rule that one person of color must participate on a committee. People write this down because these are indicators of a deeper problem, right? Dr. Barat Mira. Yeah, I agree. Um I think we are uh, uh, within a cloud of whitest, white and elitist uh, mechanisms of uh, what we consider to be research and knowledge. 
which adopt a post positivist and positive parameters and criteria to evaluate everything including the social sciences and the humanities have internalized those mechanisms and so i think uh, um, now is the time to be able to uh, and it should have been many decades back but uh, uh, now thanks to the external circumstances that we traumatic and turbulent times that we find ourselves in there is more and more work that we are finding which are addressing aspects of uh, equity uh, diversity inclusion right. marginalization uh, uh, and this requires all of us to look at higher education differently right because these are symptoms because the real problem is internalized systemic right that it is systematic it is deliberate it is impact driven and it's just not the same way that we have been understanding theory and research and practice in these separate boxes uh, the the understanding about challenging those i think is is where we are right now and so i would say to my friend uh, javier that in every different aspect of our disciplines that we belong to we have to be able to uh, bring in these aspects of diversity equity whichever dis uh, 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 disciplinary boundaries that we are uh, within uh, because every aspect of their of work involves uh, 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 mm, these elements of fairness, justice, equality, equity, change agency, empowerment, uh, community building, right. community engagement. It, you know, I, I love this conversation because it does. It affects every aspect of college life from administrators, HR, the classroom. And let's not forget the faculty lounges, the dean's office, the legislator's office. And I'm wondering what's going on. Is this all about professing a gap of knowledge? And it's just just that we have kind of got stuck in the way that we have looked at what our roles have been because we have been within the cloud of this white elitist understandings of things. Uh, and so I think uh, I would say I would support uh, uh, the graduate student to go ahead in in pursuing what they consider to be uh, of importance and provide uh, providing evidence evidence-based research right so you provide evidence you compare yourselves to others and show where you are in in uh, drawing attention to uh, gaps that might be there within your individual disciplines and more you know i think it also is important to how you tailor your interest so for example if you're going to work with researchers you might really talk about the gap in knowledge right so why am i looking at equity and inclusion mm -hmm. what don't we know about it but if you're talking to you might change the message to like, what does this mean right. financially to the institution? Now, I really hate conversation because I think this is a moral issue and I think this is a values issue. But if that's a message they understand, then I am more than happy to talk about the financial, you know, positives or advantages that universities have if they have a stake in equity and inclusion. Um, if I'm talking students. That's a slightly different message, right? I'm talking about what does it mean to work with communities of color? Why do you need to know about equity and inclusion? So again, I think it all depends on how you tailor your message. And there are some groups where, you know, I feel very comfortable, more in my radical groups, I feel very comfortable using, you know, the language of imperialism, colonialism, social justice, and then there's some groups that I know are going to shut down as soon as they hear those words. So I just change the message a little bit 
um, to make sure that they're on board with what I'm doing. I am also all about the rhetorical triangle, thinking about myself and thinking about the audience. But what about the message? What about the lip service? These equity inclusion statements and goals, because Everything is a commodity now. Social justice, diversity, inclusion, they have become buzzwords in many spaces. We hear them every day. How do we apply pressure? And uh, the way to call attention to those matters in, in the eyes of the administrators is to point out the gaps, the lip service that you use, the verbiage, the policies that you have, and what happens in reality in what life aspects of racism and other isms that people encounter. And our role is in many fronts to build the bridges in narrowing those gaps. What we say we do and what really happens. And so uh, uh, that's the message that I also then share with my students that how do we do that in professional way in order to pressurize our uh, uh, people in power and administrators to to change those they don't want no one wants to come across as a hypocrite but if there are these uh, uh, explicit gaps then by by drawing attention to them now we are trying to make our institution stronger by uh, uh, bridging those gaps that are there <laughs> wow uh, another buzzword accountability are they really going to do something about it but are they really doing something about mm -hmm. it were they sleeping all these years uh, uh, decades and centuries which have led to this only because the news media has caught these uh, police atrocities and, and racial violence that it was never there before? Is that, is that, I mean, so what kind of hypocrisy is there about this matter? And so I think uh, uh, giving, uh, providing support to our students' voices in being able to draw attention to these matters as it is, is key. So I'm always in conversations about the myth, the myth that colleges and universities are unable to find quality, diverse faculty to fill roles in higher education. So we start talking about recruitment and retention strategies, and we start talking about energy. Where did you get your energy from to keep going? I remember in graduate school, I had some professors who worked on issues of racial justice, but in the classroom, they would say some pretty racist things, and it wasn't even... You know, it wasn't one of those implicit things or a subtle. It was just blatantly racist. So I just remember being, you know, my mind blown. Like, this isn't supposed to happen here. Not in academic spaces where we're all supposed to be educated. So I think I know it's a very eye-opening experience for me those couple of years. And, you know, it's hard. It really is. And something that I realized, you know, your PhD or, or your grad studies, that is really the beginning of where you start to find yourself. And you really start asking the bigger questions, like, what do I stand for? Right? So I think in that period, I really started thinking more seriously about issues of social justice and environmental justice. And I realized that, you know, there's a need for professors of color who understand these issues. So it's been um, very hard, but, you know, if for a student of color, you really have to find your support network, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it is that one faculty of color, which I know is unfair, right? Because they say that faculty of color take on the burden, right, of emotional labor 
and they're the ones who take the more mentees of color. But, you know, if a faculty of color is available and you can use them, then you jump on it. So I think uh, a part, I just, uh, a recent uh, a PhD student's uh, dissertation that I was sharing in the university, my last university, was on uh, African-American women's role, mother's role, during 1955 uh, to 1970 in Chicago public housing. And there was so much of resistance amongst my colleagues. This is not the kind of work that was understood to be according to what their parameters of research was. And so there were all kinds of pressures to, to uh, uh, oh, this, you cannot do work on race and gender issues. This is, you won't get a job out of it. There won't be a job that will emerge from it. And those kinds of passive aggressive uh, 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 elitist uh, 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 micro and macro uh, aggressions that the student and myself had to encounter in order to continue keeping up and keeping at it. And eventually that work was so extraordinary uh, in terms of what it ended up becoming because of that, because of that hegemonic problems and the resistance it was awarded in several venues for uh, the best uh, dissertation, etc. In our in our fields, and so uh, the, 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 the 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 message there is that you will find a lot of barriers and uh, uh, resistances and other kinds of pressures to to not do what you formally believe needs to be done, but keep at it, and in in many ways it makes it stronger. So that's kind of the message for uh, retaining people of color and students, graduate students of color and others who might be trying to pursue uh, 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 work that does not necessarily f fit into the normative mainstream kind of work because of the because of the baggage of this white elitist mechanisms that we have had set in place. So how did you find your space, your counter spaces? Went out, I found my spaces. So there are some symposium conferences that I feel really comfortable that have people of color. And let me tell you, when I walk into those spaces, it's like, Dr. Fernandez, I read your latest article and I really love the points that you made X, Y, and Z. And I'm always confused. I kind of look around like, you read my stuff? Like you're actually interested in having a conversation? Like it's not just the number, you're actually excited about my work. Because, you know, on an everyday basis, it's, it's about hitting the numbers. And so it can be a little discouraging sometimes. But I mean, again, going to those safe spaces or those spaces where you do feel appreciated really will make a difference. So I'm in conversations about resistance capital, right? And especially in regards of research. Most colleges and universities do not honor resistance capital, right? How can we fix that? How do you move to, towards this 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 envisioned uh, way of of the core. You're always going to move, but the, some of the strategies were to publish in interdisciplinary journals. If you believe that our area of work is interdisciplinary, then publish in those venues, even though they don't fit into your uh, 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 high impact factor venues, but through that process, you're building credibility. And I would say support telling your story and then People who would read your packet, your promotion and tenure, your tenure and promotion dossier, by telling your story through the mechanism of movement from the periphery to the perceived center, you are able to convince and create arguments and spaces of 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 uh, uh, value.
for your story. Thank you, Javier, for that question. I enjoyed it. I'm sure our podcast guests enjoyed it as well. I hope you got your answer that you wanted, and please stay in higher education. And let me just say, you have what it takes to change higher education, and research is just one of the ways, and there is still more work to be done. There is more pointing of policies not working for underrepresented faculty, pointing of gaps that's being ignored. We need to ask ourselves, is this policy, procedure, or rule doing what it's supposed to do? If it's not, submit a word, several words. And if you want to be anonymous, be anonymous. But being silent is not an option. All right, now we're off to our second question. Dr. Bailey. Hello, I am Dr. Lee. Being the only Asian instructor in my department, I cannot help but to see inequities in my unit and my school. I am not paying to deconstruct the power structures, but I see the inequities. Should I speak out? Would it really change things? Universities and colleges are plagued with inequities, right? You know, uh, COVID-19 exposed and widened these inequities in higher education, including exposing the systemic bias in policies, rules, procedures, and practices that run our daily lives at work. How should Dr. Lee speak out or change things? And as my friend always asks, are they the same thing? Dr. Fernandez, please. I think the one of the important words is here is change. Would we really change things? And I think the question is like, what do you mean by change? So change can lots of things, right? So are you interested in disrupting people's racist uh, thoughts, discriminatory thoughts? And if your whole goal is to disrupt it, you might not see an outcome right away. I know that I get really frustrated when I do see inequities in my department or at my institution. And to me, I think it's very important to have policies, to have practices in place to discourage behavior that is um, discriminatory and so forth. Yes, exactly. So, um, What strategies would you use? For me, what I usually do is I do join the university and college initiatives where I can contribute to, you know, the top-down approach. Like, these are the policies and practices that we are going to have, and these are the expectations. And I think it all depends on what you feel comfortable with, because I know some people feel more comfortable with calling others out. Like, hey, what you said is great, and this is why. I know I just, you know, it's very emotionally taxing if you call out every single thing. I think after a while, I just just went with the top-down approach. Am I comfortable with it? Some days I am, some days I'm not. But, you know, it's your career. Again, you decide what you can sleep with at night. So if someone says something really horrible and you're okay to sleep with it at night without having said anything. That's up to you, right? But again, it's there's several strategies used to make places equitable and inclusive, and there's nothing wrong with picking one strategy over another. Right. But what about training? Well, I do right now a lot of implicit bias training, and one of the things that I talk about is awareness. So I always give the example of You know, there's been some moments where I'm out in public 
like at the post office and suddenly I'm feeling really uncomfortable and I might be even wishing like, I hope I don't get that next worker. I hope I don't get in her line. I hope I don't get in her line. And actually with the training, I've really been able to stop myself and say like, wait, what do I know about that worker? Nothing. Um, Do I know whether she does a good job or bad job? No. What are the physical characteristics that may be impacting how I'm reacting to her? So, you know, that's kind of an example of a disruption in my thinking. So without me having really gone through the training or know anything about biases, you know, I could have gone through my day, wished I wouldn't have been in the lane and just continued with my day like normal. But, you know, once you're really embedded in the literature and have gone through trainings and awareness, you understand that. You know, I guess there's like a wrinkle in your thinking. You're able to just stop and really question your thoughts. Absolutely, Dr. Fernandez. It all starts with the he, she, or they in the mirror. Recognize who you are. That means recognize your own biases as well. And join an initiative. Get involved and share governance. Find out how your college receives feedback. And figure out your style. Do you call them in or call them out? But wow, that sounds simple coming out my mouth. But that really isn't that simple. Isn't that right, Dr. Mira? You know I picked this question because I was thinking about you. (laughs) If you've known me by now and you (laughs) can't realize what what it should be, where where my my message is going to be. But I think that's really important uh, I'm interested to share. I mean, like, if life gives you mangoes, make banana shake. That's my message. And to me, coming from a, 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 a childhood abuse and domestic violence situation in India and finding uh, opportunities and ways to challenge the hegemonic structures, whatever those isms might be, has been the ways. And I'll give you some examples. Calling attention to the lip service and break uh, in administrative roles in the academy is... is uh, but, but I guess the question is, is, how do we point this out? I mean... It sounds simple, but how do we actually point out that this is a problem? As part of the uh, uh, university uh, that I was in in the past, uh, they had a quality enhancement plan and ready for the world program, which was trying to uh, make the world intercultural and international in shaping the students' uh, skill sets, undergraduates and graduates. And uh, along that way, uh, uh, I ended up being on the faculty senate and Develop, uh, building allies along the way by looking at, let us look at how our university is compared to others in terms of domestic partnership benefit. This was before the same-sex uh, uh, marriage equality law got passed. And so uh, by providing evidence and doing environmental scanning, we were able to show that there were 33 different variables of domestic partnership benefits and the university under, under consideration was was way less in what uh, the others were providing. And so that helped in that situation by drawing attention to the policies and the programs and providing evidence to show that it's not delivering what the policies and programs are meant to be delivering. We were able to generate resolutions from the faculty senate, from the graduate student senate, and the press was brought into the conversation there. And so uh, that's kind of uh, 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 one element of uh, uh, response to this scenario that, yes, you speak up and you develop allies and you question policies and programs and you challenge them by presenting evidence and doing environmental scanning 
and showing comparisons of what others might be doing that that particular discipline or environment is not doing. That's one. The second element, another strategy. I roll this into my story as a, as an academic, as a professor, as an advocate, as an activist. I write about micro again in hypothetical ways, in in uh, blanking out the individual personally and identifying information there, but. The last one of the earlier papers I wrote was the non-white man's burden in LIS education. And so I rolled in the microaggressive and macroaggressive behaviors that I was hypothetically encountering in hypothetical situations, but drawing attention to those matters. It's not a one-to-one -one personal matter. It's a matter of what is acceptable and what is not. And if you keep being silent about it and not speaking up and speaking out, one can't then come back and uh, uh, complain about it because we've not done anything about it. But again, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but if one can roll it into one's uh, work as, in, as, as what is expected in R1 institutions to publish and write the story, then might as well do it and draw attention to it as well as still uh, continue uh, rolling it into your, uh, into your research uh, agenda. I'm glad that these first two questions are similar. I see many commonalities. Well, you know, so for one, uh, silence is not the option. Uh, you only get the same thing like policies given the same results. And two, how do we do this? We have to challenge, challenge, challenge. And we use data. Compare your college to other colleges. Compare your department to other departments. Compare success with other people's success. Show them, show them. But one thing's for sure, silence is not the key. All right, now with, with our third question. And we're with Dr. Bailey at the cafe. I am a non-tenured track female instructor and I work in the department with many other female faculty in this department. However, that's not the case across the college. We are a strong department but I want to do more to enhance gender inclusivity and equity at my college. What can I be doing? I am only an instructor and while I feel comfortable in my own department, I don't want to rock the boat when I approach gender inclusivity and equity at the college. What can she do? She does not want to rock the boat. I feel her, I understand her totally. And underrepresented faculty, we think about this as we observe, as we see the, these things happening on campus, bias, these inequities, we have these thoughts. I think these are normal, right? Right? So I think that is smart of her. Steering up trouble, quote, unquote, to get your way doesn't work all the time. So we have to have a strategy. We have to have a plan, right? Dr. Fernandez. And like for me, I definitely feel comfortable being behind the scenes. I'm very introverted. I love being behind the, <laughs> the computer all day long, but I forget about being the face of any movement. If there's a protest, you know, I start getting a little anxious with a lot of people. So I'm very comfortable being behind the scenes. I'm very comfortable being on committees that get things done. So again, there's not a one size fits all approach. You decide what you feel comfortable with. And how I've responded to gender inequities uh, uh, is regarding uh, the business of lip service and calling attention to the administrators by evidence to com of comparison. 
in other schools of comparable size and what are the gaps between male and female uh, 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 salary differentials for example so that by providing evidence and uh, then uh, then uh, another matter is i mean now i'm not suggesting this for everybody but breaking the facade the public facade that that we are all equal and equitable and we believe in these this this by drawing attention through evidence and reports of comparison one is able to in a public forum break the facade and that mask that academics and academia and administrators tend to wear and so that has been part of the ways to put pressure on them to change and fix things when they are not fixed in in, in that way and this is what you were talking about right applying pressure and i'm wondering what does that look like and i'm i'm talking i want you to speak to the underrepresented faculty who are not used to it you speak so eloquently you have this courage to speak out how do you do that it's 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 my basic instinct now of of speaking up and speaking out and i'm in a privileged position having learned lessons and life journeys and insights along those along the years that i'm here uh, to be able to dr keep drawing attention to and making us all uncomfortable from the very clothes type of clothes that I wear to when I speak up and everything else along the way. And so uh, to me, that's that's my care of if I was not doing it, I would not be caring for myself because I would not be able to sleep at night because it's my instinct to draw attention to the uh, abusive kind of layers of 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 isms that we encounter in our uh, ways that we interact with each other within the academy and beyond. I love it. Thank you for that. And so now I'm thinking about self-care because this some this is making me tense, right? How do you take care of yourself? Me myself, I take walks, I relax, I play video games, NBA, Madden football, all that. Um, I try to relax and exit workplace for a little while. What do you do? What do you do for self-care? I have more individual <laughs> things. So every Friday is my night. So I block it off. No one. I don't like to talk to anyone my Friday evening. No more work. No nothing. I don't like going out. So I reserve some time for myself. Also, I, I stress eat a lot. And I stress eat during the more challenging days of academia. So I got... Uh, I'm not going to say the name of it because I'm not going to be a spokesperson. But they talk about the psychology of unhealthy eating and part of it was stress. So they recommendation, uh, the recommendation was to meditate or take a walk. So now I've realized that whenever I'm having a really challenging time, I just close my office door and meditate where I just close the door and go on a walk by myself on campus to just kind of clear my head, let out some steam. And I realized that's actually you know, made a difference. Um, I'm also working, you know, and I don't know how you don't get angry and a little bit emotional with these topics because you see the damage that it can have on people. But I'm just trying to be a little bit less emotionally connected. Like, you know, this is happening. I'm going to react this way. This is, as my friend was saying today, it's a marathon, not a race. So I have to be more understanding. I know this is probably not going to change tomorrow or next week. Next year, we'll probably have some issues. But I guess being more 
understanding with the process and being more patient with it instead of, I think my anxiety always comes about wanting to change the system overnight and change coming soon enough. Because of course, in my head, it makes perfect sense that we should make everyone feel welcome in this university setting. And it's crazy to me that some people would be fighting against that. But again, understanding historically, right? This is a pattern. It's continued to be a pattern. Um, It's gotten worse (laughs) or more in the public sphere. So just, again, kind of going back, you know, if people are religious, like, what are the things I can change? What are the things I can't change? And just focus on what I have control over. Yes. Remember, navigationists, this is a marathon, not a race. Take care of yourself. Pay attention to your emotions, especially when you are challenging a colleague, a dean, administrator, or anyone on campus. So let me give you two tips. For one, slow down and create a master plan. First, remember, why are you rocking the boat? Whatever it was, it just wasn't right. Remember that and try your best to create positive change if you can. And I will say this over and over again. Challenge somebody respectfully how you want to be treated. And secondly, know your boundaries. Know your colleagues. I mean, really, really know your colleagues. And remember, things are always easier when your colleagues are on your side. Awesome. Okay. Now, uh, our guest navigationist, do you have advice for our audience today? I think uh, looking deep inside, listening to your voice and listening to your spirit and listening to your anger, which is good. Anger is good because if you can channelize that towards strategically, wisely, so it it doesn't do you damage in all kinds of ways. How to channelize that energy is each one's path is their own. But listening to that and then being able to find uh, uh, support and opportunities and allies and inner strength along the way in order to find the path to get to your goals? Well, I would say keep going, right? So we need more people to shake things up and we can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my, most of my graduate students of color will ask, do I really need a PhD? Do I really need a grad degree? Well, you know, first of all, no, I don't think you really need it to change the system. Anyone can change it, right? If you're, have the right resources. However, Um, I do tell the grad students, you know, the day before I graduated and the day after I graduated, I didn't feel any different. But the way that the world has reacted to me is very different. So here I've gone into, you know, public spaces, you know, stores or something, and I get ignored until I say for some reason it comes up, oh, I'm Dr. Fernandez. And suddenly the way that they treat me is completely different. It's like night and day. And I tell my students, like, just the amount of authority and respect that you'll get after you graduate, yeah, you'd be surprised. So I think when you're fighting for these type of issues, for equity and inclusion, that authority, that respect um, definitely goes a long way. And I think it gets you in spaces that you didn't have access to before. Thank you. Thank you, too, for joining us. You two are awesome. Thank you. This is Navigational Report 37820B. Okay. Dreams, old dreams. 
my dreams of higher education did not match up to reality. And I think everybody needs a dosage of reality. When you observe your surroundings, you're going to notice gaps in policies that no one else is noticing. You're going to see red flags that no one is identifying, right? So if you decide to speak out, which I hope you do, because when you speak out, you are adding more color to that trail of systemic problems. But after that hard work, reward yourself. Take a trip from everyday life. Go hiking. Hang out with your friends in the middle of the week. Book a meal at your favorite restaurant. Savor a nice glass of wine. Go to your movies in the middle of the day. Or simply enjoy a cup of coffee in peace and quiet. This is your time. Well, thank you for joining me. I am your host, Jimmy Chapman, and I'll see you on our next episode on The Navigationist.